Um, I want to share with you this Easter Sunday morning a scripture that, that you don't often find people talking about on an Easter Sunday morning. A lot of times we have a tendency to focus in on only the Easter story, which Tori already read in the middle of that song earlier. And so it, it's really cool to be able to hear that story and to remember what Jesus did and to remember the reaction of the disciples. But I want to go to a different place this morning. I want to kind of look at this whole idea of love because I believe that the whole Easter story really begins and ends with love. That the story of God throughout history redeeming his people began right in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned. God began to pursue them. He began to chase them. And he's been chasing us throughout history. And some of you know that God's still chasing you because you've heard the footsteps behind you. You know he's coming. You know your life maybe isn't what it should be or, or maybe it's not quite there yet. But let me uh, just reassure you that that, that God does not give up on pursuing us because he loves us. And I believe that the most important thing that we could study on Easter Sunday or any other Sunday is the motive of God and not just the actions of God. And the motive of God today is to simply love his people and to, to show them his love so that they can in turn love others. I want to share with you this love idea from the perspective of another person, one who has something in common with us. He did not live necessarily in close proximity to Jesus. He was not one of Jesus' 12 disciples, but he was a follower of Jesus nonetheless. His name is Paul. Paul, of course, uh, came to know Christ after Jesus had left and gone into heaven. He became a missionary for the church. He went out all throughout the known world planning churches. And one of the cities that he went to was a place called Thessalonica. Say that with me. Say Thessalonica. It's fun to say. You can just use it as a Christian cuss word if you need to. Thessalonica. You know, when you hit your hand on something, you know, there's several people that are campaigning that Christians need their own swear words because, you know, when you hit your finger on something or something, it's just natural to yell. So use Thessalonica. It's a great word. Anyway, Thessalonica was a city that was right on a couple of the major roads, and it was in a harbor, in a bay, and it was one of the great shipping ports of its time, and it's always been a successful city throughout history. It's been one of the cultural centers of that part of the world. And in Thessalonica, Paul started a church, and that church obviously needed help. How many of you know all churches need some help from time to time? Um, I'm just really wishing we had Paul today to write us some letters and tell us how to deal with some of the issues like COVID-19, for instance, but we don't have that advantage. Paul wrote letters to the church, and the second letter that he wrote to the Thessalonians is where I want to kind of land today. And this is a short scripture. It doesn't say a lot. And I'm hoping that'll keep my focus narrow so that we can get out of here, you know, before 1.30 or so. Just kidding. Let's look together at 2 Thessalonians uh, chapter 3, verse 5. And today I'm reading, I usually read from the New Living Translation. I want to read this first in the New American Standard Bible. Because I want you to have full disclosure. The New American Standard Bible, in my opinion, is one of the closest to the actual Greek and Hebrew. And so what they translate is usually really, really close to the original languages, but it, it, they don't do anything to try to make it readable, to make it read nicely. Like, it's, it's not the one you want to read to your kids as they're going to bed at night or anything like that, but, but it does get to the crux of the issue. So I want to be fair with you and read what the actual Greek says before we jump into the other text. So this is what it says in the New American Standard Bible. May the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ. 
Now, before we kind of get into this scripture deeper and the part that I really want to dwell on, because there's a couple places in this scripture that are kind of obscure in their meaning. We're not really sure what Paul necessarily meant by them. First, I want to direct your, your attention to the word direct. I want to direct you to direct. I didn't really say that right. Um, the word direct here has the idea, and Paul uses it in other places in Thessalonians, to have not only the idea of, of pointing you in the right direction or leading you in the right direction or giving you a direction, but he also uses it in the sense of um, not just somebody who gives direction, but somebody who, who clears the path to make the way straight, to remove all the obstacles that you might run into in the course of your journey. And so the word direct or the word lead that, that can also be translated there is not just a directional word. It literally means God's going to go before us and clear out the way. Kind of like that big 400-pound uh, you know, guard does in football. He runs through the line and the little tiny running back runs through the line behind him and gets all the credit for doing a great thing. Isn't that how it usually works? Well, that's kind of the imagery here is that God God goes before us, or Jesus goes before us. He, he not only points the direction, but he clears the path. And, and then there's another word. He, he talks about the fact that he's literally removing obstacles out of our way so that Christ can open up a path for our hearts. It's not just all of us that's going this journey. He, he's literally pr praying for our hearts. Now, we've talked about this a little bit before. And what the heart is, it literally means everything on the inner parts of you, all that makes you who you are, down to your core, your, your emotions, your, your feelings, your intents, your motivation, all of that falls within that heart area, not just your head, but, but hearts, everything inside of you, the whole of your inner life. And he says that he wants to clear a path or, or give you direction for your heart to go into the love of God. Now, it's a little bit obscure as you go on reading that passage. When he talks about going into the love of God and into the steadfastness of Christ, there's some obscurity here as to whether this means whether it's our love for God or his love for us. What does it mean? Um, sometimes when Paul writes this way, it's on purpose. Because Paul, more than wanting to give people answers... I believe, was interested in starting conversations. And so he left some obscurity here, in my opinion, to kind of say to people, listen, this isn't just a pat answer. This isn't just what you should do. I want you to talk about this. I want you to reason it through because there's multiple ways this could be translated. And it's the same thing that happens in the last phrase. It's kind of obscure. You know, is it to be translated as the steadfastness of Christ? Is, is Christ really steadfast? Or is it the steadfastness of us as we follow Christ and as we learn from him and receive our life from him. What does it mean? Well, I believe, again, Paul wants us to think broadly about this. And, and there's another translation, the New Living Translation, makes this possible by trying to capture that multiplicity of meaning that Paul is leading us into so that we're not just getting an answer, we're getting a conversation. So listen to that same scripture in, in the New Living Translation. For, again, 2 Thessalonians 3, 5, but in a different translation. He says, May the Lord lead your hearts into a full understanding and expression of the love of God and the patient endurance that comes from Christ. Friends, let me tell you something. I love this scripture because of its simplicity. And honestly, I love it because of what Paul is trying to do here. I really believe that Paul is trying to accomplish the very same thing that I would like to accomplish today. As I speak to all of you, wherever you might be within the sound of my voice, whether you're in your living room, whether you're in your kitchen or your dining room or, or sitting out on the back deck or, God forbid, in the bathroom, wherever you're at, 
I want you to hear what I'm saying. My goal is the same as that of the Apostle Paul. First and foremost, I want to start a conversation. I don't want to give you pat answers. I don't want to give you something that you can just live on without thinking about. I want to start a conversation, and I want you to dwell in this text and hold the tension of this multiplicity of meaning that comes from this passage as the the New Living Translation has translated it. And and my second goal would be this. I want to lead you. I I want to, to be led. I want you to be led or directed deep in your guts, in your inner self, in the deepest part of your life into a full understanding and expression of the love of God. Why? Because I believe that the love of God is the greatest thing ever. Because God convinced me a long time ago as I've been talking about that, that all the rules and regulations that we attach to religion are all summed up in these two commands, love God and love your neighbor. I believe that, that you should be filled with this love and understand this love because the answer to all the world's problems is God's love. I know that sounds cliche, and some of you are going, yes, but. There is no but. Love is the answer. Love is the answer to every question that we have about this life of faith and the relationship that we have with God. Everything we could possibly ask is answered by just love, okay? The direction that God wants us to move in is always toward his love or toward his will, and his will is always love. His love demonstrated to us leads us to demonstrate it to others. And the one thing that he wants us to show to other people so that they can know him is love. Just love. Friends, that is enough, isn't it? I mean, when we conquer that, then we'll work on everything else. Because love is enough. Listen, if we show the world love as God has defined it and demonstrated it, then they will want it, will they not? And they will embrace it and we will see a movement begin to take place in our world where people stop playing games with their religion and stop worrying about the rules and the regulations and get serious about their relationship with God. Not just their religion, not just their Sunday morning acts, but their relationship with the Heavenly Father and the Creator who created them. But let me tell you something, it isn't going to happen because we have the biggest building or the coolest lights or the hippest music. It doesn't matter how tight a skinny jeans we wear up here on the platform. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen because we're right about our politics. It's not going to happen because we've chosen the only right version of the Bible to read. It's not going to happen because we decide to go back and sing songs from the 1800s or the 1970s, for crying out loud. It isn't going to happen because of these things. It will only happen when our hearts are directed into a full understanding of the love of God. I know what you're thinking. You're kind of probably at this point wondering, well, what exactly does that mean? I mean, I know what the world describes as love. I know what the world thinks of love. And and basically, if you go by the world's definition, uh, there really isn't a lot that love has to do with anything, to be perfectly honest. I mean, my my wife and my daughter are watching some show. I'm not going to mention the name of it because I don't want you to watch it, quite frankly, because I think it's ridiculous. But it's all about, it's it's this comedy, and it's based on a, a telenovela, which is apparently a Spanish soap opera. I don't know if you've ever seen one of those, but they're ridiculous. And this show kind of mocks them. And, and basically, in this show, everybody always loves everybody, but nobody ever shows actual love. Every other episode, I swear, in one episode, this girl almost married three different guys. In one episode, it's ridiculous. And friends, that's how the world views love. It's something that comes and go. It's something that passes. And I want to share with you that that is not love. 
Paul, when he writes these words about going into the love of God, he understood what love really is. And let me tell you why Paul understood what love really is. Because before he was Paul, he was Saul. He had two names. He got to change his name. The change in him was so profound when he found Christ that God changed his name. Man, you got to be notorious to have to change your name. Amen? I mean, Paul was Saul. Friends, let me share with you the the story that we read about Saul begins in Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 3. We can start reading about his life as Saul. And when you read Acts 1 through 3, it says this. It says, Saul, or I'm sorry, I should set this up. Stephen, one of the believers in Christ, has just been stoned by the religious leaders for not, or for refusing to denounce his face. And this is the response of Saul. Remember, this isn't Paul yet, this is Saul. Saul was one of the witnesses to Stephen's stoning, and he agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. It goes on to say, a great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, which ironically is what Jesus told them to do anyway, to scatter, right? To go. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul, listen to this, Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to throw them into prison. Listen to me, before Paul was Paul, he was Saul, a man who persecuted the church, the faithful who followed Jesus. He separated families. He took fathers and mothers out of their homes, away from their children, threw them in jail, and was just fine, apparently, with the fact that they could be stoned after their trials. This was a man who divided families, who broke up churches. When Jesus met him finally on the road to Damascus and and changed his life forever, he met love for the very first time in the God who who gives second chances. Imagine being Saul. He's going on the road to Damascus. He believes he's doing the right thing. and, And suddenly this bright light comes out of heaven and stops him in his tracks and blinds him. And the voice comes down from heaven and says, hey, what are you doing? You're persecuting me. You're persecuting my church. Knock it off. That's the Jeff Ekman translation. But basically, God said, stop. You're doing the wrong thing. And and all of a sudden, Saul realized that that he thought he'd been fighting for God, but he'd really been fighting against God. Can you imagine the fear that must have crept into his heart at that moment? But he met God, and in meeting God, in meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, he experienced love for the very first time. When he was sitting alone in a house a few days later, uh, blind from his encounter with, with God, a man named Ananias had to be pushed by God to come and see him. And, you know, God said, Ananias, I want you to go help this dude out. And Ananias said, are you kidding me? That's Saul. He kills people like me. I'm not going. And God said, you're going to go. And Ananias probably said, no, I'm not. And and God always wins. So Ananias went, right? And then as Ananias slowly ministered to Saul and and, and laid hands on him and prayed for him and brought back his sight, and as he spent some time with Saul, replacing what used to be in his brain with the gospel of Jesus Christ and helping him to learn and helping him to grow, Saul met love for the second time in his life. When Paul Now Paul tried to go serve the church when he tried to go hang out with the people of God. 
When he went to Jerusalem, even though he'd been preaching the gospel of the good news in other places, he went to Jerusalem and basically said, hey folks, I want to join your church. And they looked at him and said, we don't want any part of you. We know this is a secret trick. This is, you can't be trusted. You're not one of us. Stay away. You hurt my father. You hurt my mother. You hurt our families. We want nothing to do with you, Paul. And a man by the name of Barnabas stepped up. And he came to, to Paul, and I can just picture Barnabas. I picture Barnabas as a big burly dude, kind of like Pastor Chris, only bigger. Putting his arm around him and just saying, hey, man, everybody, look at me right now. Look at me. See this guy right here, this, this guy Paul? He's with me. You don't mess with Paul anymore. And from that moment forward, Barnabas and Paul became a team going out and spreading the good news of the gospel. And Paul met love for the third time in the person and the ministry of Barnabas. Friends, Paul understood love. You know why he understood love? Because he had a past. A past that he wasn't proud of. Listen, is there anybody within the sound of my voice that has a past they wish they could forget? Is there anybody within the sound of my voice that has a present they wish they could forget? Amen? We all have a past. You know, maybe some of you um, don't think that, that God can overlook what has happened in your past or in your present. But let me tell you something. Our God is a God of second and third and fourth chances who takes Saul's and makes them Paul's, who redeems those who are lost and not just a little lost, but a lot lost. And he makes them his own. He redeems them and helps them to turn their lives into examples of what he can do when we're willing to delve fully into the understanding of his love. But it is that love that must transform us. Paul understood love. Friends, do you understand how much God loves you? Do you understand? Do you comprehend? I know he sent Jesus from heaven, and that should have been enough. But listen to what Paul wrote in a different place in the Bible when he was writing to the Romans. He wrote this in Romans 8, 39. No power in the sky above or in the earth below, indeed nothing in all creation, will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. In other words, nothing you do can cause God to stop loving you. God loves you, and it is Paul's desire, and it is my desire that we would allow God to clear a path for our hearts to fully understand the love of God. Because until we understand that love, we don't have anything. We're just playing games. Paul didn't just say that we're to understand God's love. He also talks about the expression of God's love. Saul, after he became Paul, lived a life of sacrificial service to God because, because of his encounter with the love of God. This was his expression of love. He didn't go back home to his family and say, hey, mom and dad, you raised me wrong. You, you kind of got me started on the wrong path, but I found my way now. And so now that I've met Jesus, I'm going to go to church every Sunday. I'm going to go to house church even on Wednesday night. If they have a prayer meeting, I'm going to go. And you know what? If they do a fun drive, I'm going to give. He didn't do that. His whole life was changed. His whole life was uprooted. And the only time he returned back to Jerusalem was when he was going there to try to blend into the church and become a part of who they were. Literally, his encounter with Jesus changed his life. 
And that's why Paul is praying for the Thessalonians, that, that God's love for them would become so real that they, wouldn't, that they would be willing to make the same love real to others and sacrifice everything to do so. Expression, um, the expression of the love that has overwhelmed and overcome us is a natural response to what God is doing on the inside of us. Friends, every time in my life that I've been through a revival-type experience, it has manifested itself in a desire to love other people. And, and if it doesn't, I know that, that really I haven't been with God. Honestly. Friends, we had a revival speaker when I was in high school. And I mean, I was young. This was back when revivals, well, let's be honest, they still weren't very well attended. We only had a church of about 80 people and there might have been 30 people there. But I remember this particular speaker really caught my attention. Um, because he talked about love the whole week, which was right up my alley. I mean, this was right in that crucial time in my life where I was trying to figure everything out. And, and man, this guy came and he talked about how love was really the answer to all things. And, and he wrapped up his revival week, you know, his week of revival services by having us all gather around in the sanctuary and hold hands in a big circle, which, you know, obviously would kill us all right now, but, you know, it's, it's all good. But he had us gather in a circle, and I remember him praying for us that in every situation we might respond with an expression of God's love instead of what our natural person, our sin nature, would respond with. And I can remember that very next week, man, I was still high on the effect of that revival. I used to love to hear people preach, and, and so I, I was coming down off of that, and I went to a Christian school, which, man, I got to be careful what I say now that I'm kind of going out over the internet, because some of the people I went to school with could watch this. That's frightening, isn't it? I, I can't play fast and loose with illustrations anymore, not that I ever did that. But I went to a Baptist school, and I am very thankful. I, I make fun of it. I poke fun of it. We all do of our childhood. But I am very thankful for the upbringing that I got there, for the education I got there. Um, it was very conservative, and that helped me to, to form a firm foundation to go forward. But I can remember going to school the next week, and I, I remember we were in gym class. We had a very small gym. It was like the size of half of a gymnasium. And I remember we were playing kickball. Yes, I was in high school playing kickball. Get over it. Exciting life for us, you know, Baptist kids at the Baptist school. Anyway, as always happened when we played any kind of sport, there was always somebody that got mad and wanted to start a fight. And so some of the kids that, that came to our school um, had come from public schools because they had issues and problems. And so we had some tempers. I was one of them. And anyway, I can remember being at home plate. Our team was up to bat, and somebody did something stupid. I don't even remember what it was. I don't remember how the argument started, but I remember being chest to chest with this kid who was about the same size as me, but who I knew had gone to a public school. So I'm figuring in my head, if I start a fight with this guy, he's probably been in fights before, and I haven't. I'm good at intimidating people, but I've never actually had to throw a punch. And probably if I start this fight, he's going to knock me down. And so I'm thinking to myself, how do I get myself out of this, you know? And, and every impulse within me was just, man, you can take him. Just take your hands, shove him on the shoulder. It seemed like that's what we always did in fights. We hardly ever threw a punch because we knew we'd really get in trouble if we threw a punch. But it seemed like every time we wanted to start a fight that we really didn't want to fight, but we had to start a fight to be cool, we just take our hands and shove the guy by the shoulders. And then usually there was that thing where everybody would grab you too and hold you back, you know, and you're like trying to get through, but you're really not trying to get through because you don't really want to get beat up. Anyway, I thought, man, if I just take my shoulders, my hands, and hit him on the shoulders real hard, he's going to push back. People will grab me. It'll be all good, you know, because, you know, you got to represent in the Baptist school with all 10 people that were there. Anyway, I'm thinking this, and I'm thinking this, and it's escalating, and we're screaming in each other's faces, and the teacher who's managing gym is out in the, well, the outfield. He's 10 feet away in this little tiny gym, and he's starting to walk in, rolling his eyes like, here we go again. And finally, it occurred to me that 
I was supposed to respond to every situation with love. The problem is I had no idea how to do that in this because this guy's standing right here. He's breathing in my face so bad that I can smell his nasty breath. And I'm shouting at him and he's shouting at me and finally I remember yelling something to this effect. I am not going to fight with you because I love you. And that's not what Jesus would want me to do. And I said it loud too. I'm here to tell you as soon as I got done speaking, you could hear a pin drop in that gymnasium. And a couple people were in the outfield kind of going, what did he just say? And the teacher who had been making his way in kind of looked at me like, oh, that's new, you know, kind of thing. And, and the guy standing across from me, I'm trying really hard not to say his name, but the guy that was standing right across from me who I, I think wanted to beat me up, I'm not sure. I think he was looking to go up a ladder on the rung of the social whatever. I think he really did want to be. He just looked at me and he cracked the biggest smile and just started laughing. And so I'm like, what do I do? So I started laughing. I went back, got in line. He went back out to the field and we carried on and played kickball that day. It was awesome. I got out every time, by the way, because if you hit the ceiling, you're out. I hit the ceiling every time. You didn't need to know that. What I learned that day, a very important lesson, is if you ever don't want to be punched in the face, tell the person you love them. I'm kidding. That's not the lesson I learned that day. Don't take that and try it. Somebody's going to get mugged tomorrow. I love you. You know, right in the face. Don't, don't do that. That's not the lesson. The lesson is this, that in any situation that you're in, when the situation's hard, um, when you don't know what to do and, and you're in a conflict kind of situation, the best thing that you can do is express love. In fact, I would venture a guess, and I'm going to take this a little further, and I would say that whatever situation you're in, whether it's a conflict situation or whether everything's going peachy and kind, whether you're dealing with your mortal enemy or you're dealing with the best thing that you can do is to show an expression of love. Because if we could learn as the people of God how to express love in every situation, we would be like Jesus. Just love. That's all it takes I know it's hard right now. I know this COVID situation is hard and there's a lot of people really angry and mad. I am one of them, my friends. My daughter has four years to play high school softball and she lost one of them this year. I've been waiting all year to get out on the field and see her hit homers and, and strike people out. And what do I get? I get to watch her sit in her PJs and watch television all day. That's not nearly as much fun. Friends, our, our school, my wife's school, Calhoun Christian School, had a girls' team that won uh, districts and, and was headed into regionals with a very good shot at reaching, like, states. I mean, this was a team of girls that was an, an anomaly in our school. I mean, they were better than, than most of the teams we've ever had. They were phenomenal, and they had a great shot at it. And in the middle of all the hype and the excitement, their season just stopped. And most of those girls are graduating. They may never get that opportunity again. They have lost something dear. The seniors in our high schools will never experience some of the things they've been looking forward to their whole lives. I get it. It's hard. This is not an easy time. So what do you do as a Christian? How, how do you deal with it? I listen to all the voices. And people are asking me, how do we cope with this? And I'm hearing people talk, and I'm watching podcasts, and I'm listening to experts and, and trying to sort out what's truth and what's not truth. And you know what I've determined? I've determined that there's no answer to what you do other than this. Just love. Show an expression of love. Whatever you do, don't 
encounter the people of the world that are, that are throwing all of this on us with anger. Don't throw hatred at them. When we become the expression of love to the world around us, we need to do that because there are people out there that are scared and angry and hurt just like we are. And they don't need for us to go off on politicians. They don't need for us to go off on doctors. They need us to show love to them and to show love to others. Friends, the best thing to do in any situation is to show the love of Christ. Friends, I got news for you. Whether you agree with what the decision makers are are saying or not, it doesn't do any good to throw angry words at them. They're doing the best they can. I believe that. Now, I know there's always the debate about politicizing and all that stuff. You know what? I don't know if they are. I don't know if they aren't. In fact, Chris and I have had some discussions about this, and and it's so hard to know what a person's intentions are. The good news is this. We don't have to judge a person's intentions. All we have to do is love them. Because regardless of their intentions, love wins the day. Friends, I believe today that God is still in the business of making Pauls out of Saul's. And I am going to pray for you that God would remove all of the obstacles from your path so that your whole being can fully understand and express the love of God as evidenced in Jesus Christ. And as we close this service today, we're going to do something we don't always do. We're going to sing a song together. And I know this song is one that many of you have, have sung until you you really would prefer not to sing it anymore, quite frankly. It's a song um, that, that echoes, though, the sentiments that we've heard today and this scripture as well. It's called Reckless Love, and, and we're going to sing through it. And I, I want you to just focus your attention on how this talks about the love of God. Because if we want to fully understand God's love, we need to not only learn about it up here, but we need to accept it in here. And I believe music helps us to do that. So I'm going to say a quick prayer, and then Chris, Pastor Chris is going to lead us in this song. And then I'm going to close after that. Let me pray. God in heaven, I thank you for this Easter Sunday morning. I thank you, Lord, for the people, wherever they may be right now, that are listening to this broadcast. And I pray that in all of the hearts of all the people that are watching, that you would begin even now to do a work, that your spirit would resonate with my spirit, that, that, uh, Lord, they would know that we are united together, not by technology, but by the Holy Spirit of God and by the fact that where you are, your people are as well. It doesn't just work the other way. Where we are, you're there as well, but where you are, we're there as well. And so we are present with each other. And I pray that right now you would help the people that are listening to my voice to begin to understand how incredibly deep your love runs for them so that they can experience your love. And after experiencing and understanding that love, may begin to express it to the people around them. Speak to our hearts now, God, as we sing.